As Simon said in the notices, we are starting a new series today um, in the Book of Ruth. Um, It's a six-part series that we're going to be looking at over summer. And I think God's got some really um, big and exciting things to say to us as a church through this series. So I'm really pleased to be um, kicking it off today. Um, So we're going to be looking kind of chapter by chapter at the Book of Ruth. Um, I don't know how familiar or not the Book of Ruth is to you. Um, This week, in this introduction, I'm just going to give you a very, very broad overview of what goes on. I'm aware that we've got um, lots of other talks coming up, so I don't want to um, spoil any of that as such. But just to give you a bit of a picture about where we're going, um, Ruth is a story um, in the middle of Israel's history in the Old Testament, Um, And we're going to look a bit more specifically about where in a second. Um, But it starts off with a character called Naomi, who finds herself in a very desperate situation in the land of Moab. Um, She ends up going from Moab back to where she came from, which was the promised land of Israel. Um, And with her comes one of her daughters-in-law called Ruth. And Ruth is very faithful to Naomi, despite there being no um, social or legal reason for that. We see in chapter 2, a man called Boaz turns up on the scene. um, And Boaz shows a huge amount of kindness to both Naomi and Ruth. Uh, We see in chapter 3, with the hand of Naomi behind her, uh, Ruth making a plea to Boaz for what was a technical redemption... Um, but also in the broader sense to rescue them from their desperate situation into a better situation. And in chapter 4, Boaz and Ruth marry, and we see that this becomes part of the royal line of Israel that leads to King David and eventually down to the line of Jesus. So as I say, very, very broad overview if you're not familiar with the book. That's kind of a flavour of it. So we start in quite a dark place and end in a very hopeful place. So um, I've been given chapter one, I've been given the darkness to deal with today, so looking forward to doing that with everyone. Um, But before we dive into um, the verses, um, I think it's worth taking a pause at the start of the series to think, well, why study Ruth? Uh, Why study this book? And just a few things I want us to think about to encourage us through this series. Um, So my first point, kind of without being too glib, is that We study Ruth because it is in scripture. There's no particular reason necessary in the eyes of human wisdom why the story of Ruth should be in scripture rather than one of the other millions of stories that undoubtedly were going on at this time. But God wanted us to hear it. God put this book in scripture for a reason. And as an evangelical church, we really believe that everything that is in the Bible, God has put there for a reason. God has put it in there because he wants us to hear that. And he wants us to respond to that. So I'm really excited that we're going to be responding to something that God has personally put in the Bible over the next few weeks. Secondly, there are some really, really big themes in the book of Ruth um, that we can see carry throughout the whole story of scripture and into our time of worshipping Jesus today. So we see the theme of hope and the theme of courage, which are the two main themes I'm actually going to be looking at today in the passage once we've got through all of the darkness. And we see lots about the providence of God and his provision in unlikely circumstances and in unlikely ways. Um, As hinted at in the overview, the idea of redemption 
is a huge theme throughout the book of Ruth, being brought back from a hopeless situation um, without your control or input. We see a lot about God's sovereignty in the story of Ruth. Um, The things that Naomi and Ruth go for, they really don't make that much sense until you see them in the bigger picture of what God is doing. And similarly to what we see in the story of Job and in his suffering and in the story of Joseph and his journey, we see God work things sovereignly that, again, with our human eyes, would just look like hopeless situations. So we're going to spend some time thinking about that as well. The theme of grace comes up. The theme of covenant comes up. So covenant um, between people, but also covenant between God's people and God. Uh, We see themes of social justice come up and many, many other themes that um, all of the preachers will look at throughout the course. So there's some really exciting stuff in there, um, which stay tuned for that. Thirdly, it's a very personal story. So kind of if you read through the Old Testament, you'd have got through a lot of historical narrative Um, We'll have just read about how Joshua went into the promised land, having taken over from Moses, and then the era of the judges who succeeded Joshua. Um, And then afterwards, we go into the story of Samuel and the establishment of the monarchy in Israel. So as we go over kind of these chapters, which cover kind of years and years and centuries and centuries of history, we get this kind of microcosmic and personal story inserted into the middle of it. So in many ways, it's a lot easier for us to relate to and to feel the emotions of the characters than perhaps in those historical narratives. And it's a very intimate story. Um, It's not, it's not much is left to the imagination. And we're made to really feel what the characters feel. And it's, it's powerful. And so hopefully we can relate to it in a personal way. Um, in the midst, as I say, of this bigger sweep of history. And then finally, um, this is something we didn't discover on purpose, uh, but we found out in the past couple of weeks that lots of the culture words we've been looking at as a church um, over the previous few weeks that Rob's been leading us through, so many of those themes come up in the Book of Ruth. There's so many things about courage and authenticity and passion and the other words, which I can't quite remember on my feet, that I'm sure you all know off by heart in your head by now. So stay tuned for those as well. Um, So that's just to introduce you a bit to the series. And our vision for this series is that we will be changed personally and changed as a church by getting into it and letting God speak to us through this book. And that's what I hope to bring today. Um, So let's, let's pray together for this series before we go any further. Father God, we thank you that you are the sovereign God over all circumstances of our life. And I thank you that you show us in this story your faithfulness, your redemption, and so many things to give us encouragement as we walk with you. Father, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word as we look at it together today. Lord, I pray you would speak to us powerfully as a church. And Lord, I pray you would give us things that we can go away and respond to and be changed by over this next week. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just looking at the first seven verses of the book of Ruth today. So if you have a Bible with you, if you turn there, we'll read that together. 
And I've called my talk today, The Choice of Hope. So the first, the first talk in this series is The Choice of Hope. Okay, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian, Epaphrites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one of them was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in bringing them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So we see in the very first words of this passage that it took place in the days when the judges governed, or maybe in the days when the judges ruled, depending on your translation. And I want to spend a bit of time thinking about that context, because it puts into a really kind of stark contrast some of the amazing things we see in Ruth. Because in general, um, the time when the judges ruled uh, was not a good time in the history of Israel at all. Um, as I touched on in the introduction, um, it fell between the rule of Joshua and the establishment of the monarchy in Israel, in King Saul. So this was um, not long after Israel had occupied the promised land um, that Moses had been leading them towards for many, many years. Um, as I say, in general, though, the judges did not rule with integrity. They were not upright. They were not that righteous before God. Um, there were a couple of exceptions to that. Um, if you read through the book, you'll see that Gideon was a righteous judge. Um, and also coming later, um, Samuel, who was the last judge before the establishment of the monarchy. Um, but it's not just the leaders with which there was a problem during that time. Amongst the whole people of Israel, um, the people who had just taken hold of all of these promises of God, um, it was a time of corruption and it was a time of backsliding away from God. Um, and there's a number of kind of ominous phrases that crop up again and again in the book of Judges. Um, the most common being, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, and I've put a few references up there to make the point that this wasn't just a one-off um, backsliding. This was a pattern that happened again and again and again. So in theory, God had delivered to Israel what he had promised Israel. He delivered them a land. He delivered them from their enemies. And he delivered their, him their law to rule over them. But they were not content and they kept on rebelling against them. Their hearts were not with God. And we see this in some of the acts that actually take place throughout Judges. Uh, we see the marrying of women from outside of the people of Israel and Judah, which was strictly forbidden under the covenant law. 
And one of the key reasons that that was forbidden is because God had said, look, if you do this, you'll end up worshipping their gods. You'll end up having your hearts taken away from me. And we see again and again that Israel actually completely turns to worship um, the Baals and other foreign gods in this time, which is quite shocking given how shortly before they'd seen his amazing redemptive acts in delivering them into the promised land. Um, And we see other things. We see human sacrifice. We see limbs being chopped off people. We see foxes being tied together and set on fire. It really was not a good time. It was a dark and it was a low point in covenant history. And it's worth reflecting on this because not only was it obviously bad from Israel's point of view and their relationship with God, but God had called out Israel to be a light to the world. He called out Israel to be the carriers of his eventual redemption of the whole human race. And this was looking in jeopardy right now. This is looking in a really, really bad state. And this is the context in which we find the story of the book of Ruth, worth keeping in the background. Now, despite this, there were kind of periods when things got a little bit better during Judges. So often we see Israel realising that they turn away from God, repenting, God blessed them again, but then they fell back into that pattern. So I'm just going to quickly read from Judges 10 verses 10 to 16, which is a good example of this. Uh, Judges 10, verse 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon and the Philistines? Also, when the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Mayanites oppressed you, you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. Then the sons of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he could bear the the misery of Israel no longer. So we see that there was this turning, and God did relent. Um, But the repentance that Israel had in this time was generally short-lived. We see again in a few chapters them turning away from God again. But in one of these windows of their repentance, in one of these windows of God's blessing, um, that is perhaps when the story of Ruth took place. Because we hear in the book of Ruth that God had been favourable to his people and provided food in a time of famine. So that happened in one of these short-lived windows. But despite that, there was still a sense of darkness over the land of Judah, even during the story of Ruth. Um, To jump ahead a couple of chapters in Ruth, in verse 2.22, um, it advises, uh, Ruth says, sorry, Naomi says to Ruth, um, only serve in the field where Boaz is, for if you go into any other field, you may be assaulted and attacked. So that was the kind of culture that was still going on in Judah itself. Uh, Women by themselves in the field were vulnerable and scared of being attacked. So despite this blessing of food, it's not, it was all sunny back in the land of Judah. Now, before we go on to look at Naomi and the situation she finds herself in within this bigger picture, 
Um, I just wanted to pause and reflect on that context and to think about our context today. Because I have heard passages like this taken, or even the whole book of Judges taken, and picked up and lifted as a general condemnation of everything that is so clearly wrong in the world today. And while there are some clear similarities, so everyone doing whatever they see fit, um, God-forgetfulness, moral relativism, and while those things do lead to bad consequences, I actually don't think that's what God is trying to say to us through the book of Judges. So we need to remember that Israel were God's people, and today the churches is God's people. So I actually think the book of Judges and that whole time is better taken um, as a warning to the church not to be unfaithful to God, rather than as a warning to the world as a whole and what happens if you ignore God. I think if we think back to um, the establishment of the church as well in the first century, there was such great persecution and such great opposition. The idea that there was uh, evil and godlessness in the world uh, wouldn't have shocked them at all. And it shouldn't shock us in a way. That's a given. No, what is so shocking about the book of Judges is that it is Israel who is committing all of these evil acts. And so I think for us, um, the whole context is a warning to not be unfaithful to God. And we've got many things we can potentially be unfaithful to God about in the church. We can blend in with the world and not um, and be ashamed of the gospel, all kinds of things. And that's not what I'm going to get into today. Um, but as we think about Ruth and how it challenges us as a church... Um, the context of not falling into being unfaithful as a church is something we should have in our minds. Okay, so taking the big picture in the context, putting that aside, and focusing on the story itself, uh, we see that Naomi finds herself very quickly in a pretty desperate situation. Um, So she got to Moab because um, her husband, Elimelech, um, left Israel to go there. And, and that immediately kind of raises some questions. Well, why did he leave? Uh, was it right for him to leave Israel? Is it ever right um, for someone to leave the promised land and go and live in a, pro- in a foreign land, having been delivered it by God? Um, we don't ultimately know what the motivations are. We're not told. Uh, but if we jump forward to 21... Um, And this is what Naomi says when she actually comes back to Israel. She says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So whether rightly or wrongly, there was some sense of hopefulness for Naomi when she first went out to Moab. So again, it would be easy to attribute some bad motivation or some bad situation of them running away. But whatever it was that drove them to Moab, um, Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi was full of hope at the point that they left. But we see through the narrative that things happen that shouldn't happen. Um, most clearly, uh, Marlon and Killian taking wives from Moab. As mentioned before in the book of Judges, this was one thing that was really clearly forbidden uh, by God. And we see that after that happens, there is family tragedy. Elimelech dies. Marlon and Killian die, and none of them have any children. Now, again, we are not told specifically that that is a direct consequence of that choice. But we see things unravelling. That is what we feel in these verses. Naomi sets out with hope. 
but she finds herself without family. Children make choices they shouldn't have made. And quite quickly, uh, we find herself in a bit of a desperate situation. She's a widow. She's in a foreign land. Um, None of the social provisions that God had given the people of Israel apply in Moab. So she's got no future whatsoever, no reason to hope. Uh, We hear that she hears rumours in the fields, which suggests that she may have had a tiny income doing a bit of agricultural work, uh, but really nothing that would have given her any sense of there's a future for me in this place. So what was she going to do about that? What was she going to do about this tragic situation that she found herself in? Well, we read in verse 6 that she arose with her daughters that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in bringing them food. So she makes a choice at this point. And in some ways it might seem like quite an obvious choice to make. There's nothing for me here. I'm going to go back from where I come from because I hear there's a bit of food going. But what I want to encourage us to think about is actually it was not a straightforward choice at all. It took a lot of courage to make that choice. So um, my third point is the choice of hope. Naomi, she could have wallowed in self-pity. She could have wallowed in bitterness. She could have just left herself to die in the land of Moab. But she chose to make a courageous choice. And she really didn't have that much to go on either. She had only heard in the field that food had come to the land of Judah. So it was, it was a word of mouth rumour potentially. Uh, but despite her desperation, and despite the fact she'd seen very little evidence of God's blessing on her in the previous ten or so years, um, she makes the choice from that place of darkness to go back to the land of Judah. And we'll see that throughout the series, um, that turning point of going back, incredible amounts of blessing flow from that initial decision. And as I was reflecting on these verses, I think the message that God wants to bring to us as a church, and what I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about, is having hope and having courage in making decisions. So I was, I was kind of thinking about, well, actually, what is hope? And hope is about having some hopeful expectation of a future, believing that there is something in the future that is better than the now, believing that God or our circumstances, um, something is going to happen to take us to a better place. But to actually have hope, we're going to need something to hope in. And really, if we look at this story here, it's not really clear at all what Naomi did have to hope in. But God had somehow kept something alive in her heart through all of those years that made her want to return, which made her to keep going. And so we need to have something to hope in. But if we go a step further than that, actually, if we're hoping in something, that means we're desiring as something as well. We can't have hopes if we do not have desires. If our heart is not set on something, then we cannot hope for it. And God has taught us through the rest of the Bible, through what he's taught us in our own lives, that our ultimate desire is to know him ourselves. It's to know God and experience God and enjoy God. 
and also to desire his kingdom, to see him reign, to see him come on earth in all of the manifold ways through his power. And just what Simon drew out in our worship time earlier, that God does reign, and yet God is intimately personal with each of us. That is our kind of, as Christians, that is truly what we desire. We desire God, and we desire for his kingdom to come. But we can feel those desires be assaulted every day in all kinds of ways. We can feel all kinds of disappointments in our life that kind of blunt those desires. Things not going right in our job or in our family life. And seeing people we care about not coming to faith. Just going through times of seeming deadness in our own relationship with God. All kinds of things that can make us give up desires and hopes quite quickly. We can also see all kinds of imposters trying to steal our desire away from God. We can see material things or just things of comfort steal in and try and say, actually, this is what you need. You don't need God. You need me instead. So we're going to think about, well, how how can we defend our hearts? How can we defend our desire against some of those assaults that we experience day by day? So moving on to courage, why... Why do I say that this choice that Naomi made, not only was it hopeful, why was it courageous? Well, we define courage in our culture series as celebrating and encouraging risk-taking faith. And Rob talked about that meaning overcoming fear to pursue God no matter what. So if we're pursuing God, we have to make the choices that will help us overcome those assaults on our desire those temptations to give in and, and lie down and say, okay, whatever, I'm, I'm done here. I'm not going to hope in you anymore, God. It's got too hard. We're just going to put this to one side. It takes courage. It takes faith to overcome that. So that's why I say that Naomi's choice was courageous because she could have done that very same thing. And she could have said, I've got a small bit of income, it will keep me going, and then I'll just die alone and bitter in Moab. But she didn't do that. And I think that challenges us, that really challenges us. But we, Because we've got a lot more to go on in some ways than Naomi did. She would have had the story of how um, God had delivered Israel from the exile. She would have the story of the deliverance into the promised land itself. Um, But in her own personal experience of God, there seemed to be very little she had in those past 10 years to go on. And we have got a lot more in that we know the whole story of what God was doing. We know what he bought for us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. We know what he achieved when he raised Jesus from the dead to be Lord of all. We know that he sent the Holy Spirit to live with all of us and to be with all of us at Pentecost. And we know that we now have a new covenant with God, a covenant that is stronger um, than the covenant that Israel was living under. And my encouragement is that we just need to be living and breathing these things on a daily basis, because this is our ammunition to keep hoping. These are our weapons when we do find our hope and our desire assaulted. We can draw on the promises of the cross. We can draw on the power of the resurrection, the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, and the absolute certainty of our future in the new covenant with God. Um, and that's why we just got to live them 
They can't just be theories that we know about. They've got to be things that come into our heart and dwell in our hearts every day and we reflect on them. Because they are the things that are strong enough. And I think we need to not underestimate the strength of the assault we face. Our enemy is wily. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to work through the world to attack us and to try and bring us down and try to blunt us as children of God. And these are our weapons, these incredible truths, incredible things that God has done. They are our weapons against all of that. And so we need to have the courage to take hold of that. And it's notable that Naomi didn't make her choice when she was in a good place. Things didn't get better and then she chose hope and courage. No, Naomi made that choice in a dark time. And I specifically want us to think about that because in a way it's not easy, but it is a lot easier to take risks for God and it's a lot easier to um, tend to our hearts when things seem good, when our circumstances seem good, when God seems close. Um, in the words of the Matt Redden song, when the sun is shining down on me, actually hope is, it's kind of there. We don't need to work that much at it. It's in the dark times when this really comes to the crunch. It's in the times where we can't actually see what the solution is going to be. Um, it's in the times when we may have even not sure, well, God, are you even going to do anything here? That's when we need to make these choices. And that's when we need to cling on to those promises. It's when we need to cling on to what has God has done for us. And we will all know from our past, and we may know in the present, and we are going to know these times in the future. God does promise us ongoing joy, but at the same time, he does not promise us an easy ride to heaven. No, we are going to be assaulted. We are going to be attacked. We are going to know times of personal darkness in the same way that Naomi knew a time of personal darkness within a bigger story. So I hope in these first few verses that the choice that Naomi made, which then bloomed into all kinds of wonderful acts of God, encourages us even when it seems hopeless, to make those same choices. We don't know what God is going to do with even the smallest acts of our faithfulness. Now, another place where this touches on our culture series, thinking about courage in dark times, is at the same time we shouldn't hide the pain. We should be honest about where we are. And authenticity was one of the key words that we brought out. Being honest with ourselves, being honest with God, being honest with each other as a church about how we're doing and the support we need and the struggles we're facing. If we look to verse 20 in chapter 1, um, so this is once uh, Naomi has returned to Judah, and we read a little bit of it earlier, but the full verse says, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Uh, so Mara, as the footnote tells you, means bitterness. And that was how she felt. She, she felt that there was a bitter providence of God towards her. Um, she didn't pretend that, yeah, okay, I don't really know, but it's okay, God's got it under control. No, she felt this bitterness from God and she expressed it. But she still made the choice. She still made the choice to return despite her being in this place. 
So we can we can choose to believe God's promises, um, even when we're not feeling it, without fear of being inauthentic. Inauthenticity is pretending that the problem isn't there, or hiding the problem from people, or hiding the problem from God. Inauthenticness isn't um, not making choices of hope. Should really just spoken in the positive there, and not the double negative. But um, <laughs> make sure you can make you can make choices that are authentic, even if that's not what you're feeling. That's not what authenticity is about. Authenticity, as I say, it's not hiding away. It's grasping the nettle, even when that's the last thing you want to do. It's saying to people, yeah. I need help. I need God. I don't know what the outcome of this is. I don't know how long is it's going to last. But I know I need God. Doing that is a lifetime of learning. It's a lifetime of discipleship. It's a lifetime of encouraging each other. It's a lifetime of dwelling with God and letting him encourage us. But... Maybe we are in one of those good times. Maybe we are in one of those bright places. And by staying in that pattern of being aware of where our hearts are at, of guarding our hopes and guarding our desires, again, that gives us strength and that gives us ammunition for when the dark times come. Because actually, one of the key ways that we can be led away from the promises of God um, is by things seemingly to be so good, uh, maybe we've just come into some money or maybe we've just got a promotion at work that we've been looking for or some other thing um, that makes us feel really good. Um, but actually that can that can sneak in and replace God as at the centre of our lives. So even if we're feeling, yeah, God's really for us, things are going great for us, um, the devil can come in in another way and take those good things and turn them into idols So we need to be practicing this examination of our hearts, this examination of our desires, and this examination of our hopes um, all of the time. Um, And the blessings that we'll find from it, um, I hope we'll see, will be of the same kind of redemptive, graceful blessings that we'll read about in the coming weeks in Ruth. That's all that I wanted to share with you today. Um, I really think um, God wants us to respond to this challenge of staying hopeful, of making decisions of hope, of being courageous and of defending our desires.